Hi, I'm Sean Mapes, and this is Texas Tasty's 512 Degrees, where we normally talk to Texas chefs and foodies. However, today we're doing something a little different. Our guest today is Andrew Jones, a Texas basketball star who became an icon and inspirational figure for fans across the nation as he battled leukemia for much of 2018 before eventually being able to return to the court for the Longhorns. Now, he's using his platform as a student-athlete to help spark change on the 40 acres. So, here's Andrew Jones. So, Andrew, you were part of a group of student-athletes who called for changes around the Texas campus, not just the athletic program, but uh, buildings on campus. You won the names changed, uh, statues taken down, the eyes of Texas, you shone a light on its uh, racist past that, frankly, I wasn't even, uh, I wasn't aware of. So how did that statement uh, come together, and why do you feel like it was important for you to lend your voice to that message? Um, Great question. It actually came together through a bunch of football players who felt strongly and compassionate about, you know, what's going on with the black community and what has continued to go on. Uh, with the black community and you know um there's a lot of stigma around texas you know some racial and some like some racial inequalities that are going on and you know i feel like it was my part as a student athlete to not be quiet and also voice my opinions about matters that i feel deeply you know compassionate about so i just you know wanted to support my fellow you know african-americans who are on campus and who are, are also athletes and use my platform to, you know, spread awareness of, you know, some of the racial injustices that are going on in the world today. You know, basically as um, using my platform as a vessel to, you know, educate those who lack the lack knowledge. So was there any discussion between the university and the group of players, the football players that uh, were kind of heading the movement between the time when the demands, requests, whatever you want to call them, were made and the changes were announced? Was there any kind of negotiation back and forth? I'm not aware of any negotiation that took part between the football, uh, athletics, and all, and the players. But I, I also talked to some of the athletic director myself, and, you know, he was very understanding and compassionate and very, you know, willing to empathize with the community who have been oppressed and who've been, you know, racially oppressed. So... He was very open-minded. You know, they did a very good job of showing that they care. And, you know, the changes that were made was a small stepping stone into moving to, in the right direction. Okay. So it was more of a conversation as opposed to a, you know, full-on negotiation. Full-on demand. Yeah. yeah, it was more of just a conversation that needed to be had and hear out the student-athletes who feel strongly about the situation. And, you know, with the police brutality that's going on in the world today, and during COVID, it just brought a lot of attention to those who have no choice but to sit down and watch and, you know, and listen. So we just they want to spark the conversation and, you know, just to be heard, finally. So were you satisfied with the response by the university? I mean, they didn't change, you know, the big one that was kind of grabbing the headlines was the eyes of Texas. And they didn't, they're not removing the song. They're acknowledging the, the past that it had, the racist past of the song and uh, not, you know, forcing you guys to sing it after games. But as mm-hmm. a whole, were you satisfied with the outcome? I was happy with, you know, the changes that were made with Texas and the direction that they're starting to go. 
there's still a lot more that needs to be done. Mm. You know, just one thing can't be changed and expect everybody to be happy and everybody to be satisfied, you know, and be content. So, you know, this was a step in the right direction. As long as we continue to push that Black Lives Matter and, you know, all lives should be taken seriously in consideration that there should be equal justice and equal rights for all human beings, you know, and Black Lives Matter is the starter, you know, into everybody being equal and everybody having, you know, same, you know, racial and, you know, removing the stigma of racism as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's really great stuff that you guys are doing. You know, you see it with the Pac-12 players kind of moving towards almost like a union of players uh, looking to make some changes there in response to the COVID side more more so than anything. You know, just this era of player empowerment has trickled down. You see it big time in the pros, but now it's trickled down to uh, the college. And I, th- I think it's really great that you guys are finding your voices. Right, because for so long, you know, our voice has been hindered and we've been silenced you know, due to being afraid to, you know, maybe lose a scholarship or the backlash that we might receive from our coaches or, you know, fellow teammates. So I'm glad that people have the confidence and the courage to actually speak up on a matter that they feel deeply about. And the ultimate result is to make the world a better place. You know, everybody's not going to be perfect, but as long as we just make strides to, you know, accepting everybody for, you know, their personality and their character instead of the color of their skin. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I want to jump back a few years in your basketball career. You're coming off a good freshman season. I know uh, fans were excited. As your sophomore year approached, that you're going to take a bigger role. I know I, I was one of them. And uh, early in the season, uh, you're in these uh, non-conference games. You're, you said you are feeling kind of fatigued, not feeling like yourself, and uh, you're playing – a more limited role than expected. And so you got tested and in January, 2018, uh, it was announced that you had been diagnosed with, uh, leukemia. So I just want to ask, what was that moment that you heard the news, heard the diagnosis? What was the first thought that kind of hit your mind when you get something like that? Uh, kind of the same first thought to everybody, you know, what are the next steps? Am I going to live? How is it going to affect my my basketball career? Will I ever play the game of basketball again? You know, how will it affect my family? So it was a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty going through my my mind at that time. And, you know, I just didn't want to give up too soon after, like you said, I was on my way to reaching my full potential. And then I had, a, you know, a minor setback that could that drastically change my life forever. So... Um, during that time, it was really hard on myself and my parents. And, you know, I know my teammates as well. And, you know, it is one of those things where we just had to figure out the next step into recovery, the next step I needed to take in order to, you know, try to get my life back to normal and beat the cancer. Yeah, and those days that you said, those those hard days that you were battling leukemia, what was, you know, I can't imagine waking up every morning and being like, all right, got to, got to bring it again, got to, you know, keep keep fighting just to not just to get back on the court, but just for your life. What were those mm-hmm. like? What were those days like? What kept you kind of motivated to push through uh, all the all those circumstances? You know, those days, I had a lot of dark days, you know, a lot of days where, you know, I just couldn't do anything. There's a lot of stuff that 
you know, people really take for granted that times. And then when you lose it, that's when you tend to appreciate things more. So, you know, during that time, it was it was really hard to wrap my mind around that my body is going through this change and it's fighting out this disease. Yeah. And- to, you know, stay motivated and stay, you know, stay close to God. And really that's what got me through it, God and family, you know, just keeping my, uh, my spirits high. My doctor, I had a great doctor who, you know, had more confidence that I would beat the cancer than I did. So I had a very strong support system. And those changes going on with your body, how did you feel that your body changed during during the treatment that you're getting while you're fighting leukemia? You know, I, I lost a lot of weight, lost about 40 pounds mm-hmm. of weight and like, lost like 50% of muscle. So it was really just like starting all over again, learning and training my body to do simple things that, you know, people wake up every day not even thinking about. So moving forward, your your first game back after beating cancer, just going from the darkest of darks to the what I imagine was the highest or one of the highest points. Well, what did it feel like to finally be able to put the jersey on one more time, that first time, walk through the tunnel, all that stuff? Um, my first year back or when I actually played? Because, you know, my red shirt season, um, you know, I was really – really excited to play. I know my body wasn't 100%, but it's just, you know, the adrenaline rush of about to play my first college game in, in over two years, you know, the excitement, uh, it, it was really surreal. And I, I enjoyed the process of, you know, preparing for the game in order to, you know, go out there and play the game that I love. Yeah, I, I you know, I completely forgot that you had to go through all the steps before that of having to get into practice, kind of reintegrate into the team and all mm-hmm. that before you get to, you know, finally get on the court, Frank Irwinson. Right, right. And the practice was hard. You know, I my body had a lot of limitations. I didn't have the endurance nor strength that I used to or that I was, that my body was used to handling. So it was a real adjustment period for me, really understanding my body and understanding what I can and cannot do at certain times and certain moments. So it really gave me, a great understanding of like who I am and how to control my body and how to take care of it. Your battle with leukemia is something that's obviously well documented. It's a great inspiration to a lot of people. But I think what uh, less people are aware of is the story about your father. Uh, for those out there who don't know, your father uh, was paralyzed when you were at a young age. How did caring for him and seeing what he had to overcome affect you while you during your uh, fight, uh, cancer fight? You know, because he, he lost, you know, as everybody knows, he's, he's paralyzed for over, like, the last 12 years, so half my life. And I had to really adjust and grow up quick, you know, and just seeing how he never cried, never complained, always wanted me to be better and always pushed and motivated me and tried to do for me everything he could, even though he, he was limited, that fight and that, you know, determination is what really basically rubbed off the, on me and it started into me. It's like, don't let circumstances, regardless if you control them or not, dictate your life and dictate your mindset. So I just took, you know, a lot of, of what he has done over the last few years to continue to do and just use it and in my own way. Another thing I don't think... You know, I think a lot of people know, but that your sister plays for the WNBA Atlanta Dream. 
How did seeing mm-hmm. your sister play at you know a high level as you were coming up kind of inspire you on your journey through uh, through basketball? You know, my sister's always been you know my biggest motivator as far as like on the court. We always had like a, a Reggie Miller and Cheryl Miller type of relationship, <laughs> and you know I always you know looked up to her as a young kid growing up. Even though she was getting all the accolades and seeing all the accomplishments that she had, I wanted to make a name for myself to also you know match her and all the accolades that she has, you know, achieved. So seeing her reach her fullest potential and, you know, making it to, you know, the highest level possible continues to drive me now, even though I know she's not satisfied. I know she wants to be able to do more in the league besides just be there. I know that she still has that competitive spirit to wanting to get better. Yeah, and right now the Atlanta Dream, uh, or they're as part of the WNBA bubble experience and everyone knows what's going on in the NBA bubble. I'm sure you've talked to Alexis. How's her experience in the WNBA bubble been? It's been, you know, it's been different. You know, it's been a a lot of adjustments that she has to go through, but, you know, for the most part, she's been confident and, you know, really hardworking and really wanting to, you know, prove and really compete and play the game that she loves. So she's willing to make that sacrifice of her time and, you know, really put her life at risk and our health at risk in order to play the game that she ultimately loves. So I commend her on that and just make sure she just tries to stay safe. So as you're being recruited uh, coming out of high school, your relationship with uh, Shaka Smart kind of kept coming up, being cited as one of the reasons that you ended up ultimately choosing to go to the University of Texas. And Coach Smart seems like one of these guys that is universally loved by all of his players. He's a great recruiter, and no one has a bad word to say about him. How does Shaka Smart build that bond in players where guys love him so much? Uh, the one thing that Coach Smart does well is not selling the kids or his players a dream of being a one-and-done or aspirations of just going straight to the league. You know, one thing he prides himself on building in players is not only like development on the court, but development as a person and, you know, as a man. So he wants to be able to be an extension of, you know, some guys' fathers or who some people who don't have fathers. He wants to be able to mold the young players that he have into men. So he installs that he has a lot of core values that I agree with. And it took, it takes a while to completely understand as a young, as a young man, and as a teenager, to understand his philosophies and the way he wants, you know, his players to act in a certain way, but it's beneficial for you in the long run, you know, far as getting a, being in the NBA or even just a regular day life. You know, all his tools and, you know, his philosophies apply both on and off the court. Something I think is interesting, obviously this was your redshirt year uh, in 2019, uh, when the team made the run to win the NIT tournament. And obviously, you know, no no team starts the season saying, hey, let's go out and win the NIT tournament. When you make the NIT, there's really two types of teams, teams that really dig in and want to get better and win the thing, and teams that kind of are just ready for the offseason. How, 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 how was the team's attitude going into the 2019 uh, NIT? He, he kept the team very connected. Is one word that he likes to use, and he tried to keep everybody's spirits high and confident, regardless of the circumstances of whether it's NCAA tournament 
or the NCAA uh, Big 12 championship, regardless of the championship, we want to we value winning championships and we value winning and competing no matter what. So our competitive effort is one thing that he was going to drive regardless of any tournament that we were in, and that's what I believe sparked the run in the NCAA NIT tournament. So kind of moving forward now, I, you know, I'm not going to ask you about what's going to happen the 2020-21 season, the season coming up, uh, because I don't think the people, you know, running the schools, running the programs, I don't think they even know what's kind of, even though, mm-hmm. yeah, they don't know what's going on. So really, I guess my question is, how has COVID affected the off season for you guys? Um, certain guys have to, we all had to go home and it took really a self-driven uh, mindset to actually work during this time and use this time during the pandemic as an advantage. You know, um, unfortunately I've been through times where I had to sit out and figure things out and really adjust to life as it throws curveballs. So me and I know a lot of other more of my teammates use this time to really focus on ourselves and our individual growth and working on, you know, little parts of our game or our body that needs the needs the most work. So I know a lot of my teammates were working and finding, you know, gyms and utilizing their resources the best they can to make sure they aren't just sitting around doing absolutely nothing. Also with COVID, I mean COVID's kind of the elephant in the room in every conversation uh, people have. How How is having uh, leukemia and COVID? I, I imagine you're at a higher risk uh, regarding the COVID. How are you managing going through what everyone else has to go through? Um, you know, I'm just doing all the protocols, following the CDC's, you know, mandates, just staying away from large crowds, washing my hands religiously, you know, making sure, you know, I don't put myself at risk by going in large crowds, going to gyms, you know, going to parties. I just really try to stay to myself, stay to my family, and make sure that I'm not doing anything that could put me at any higher risk than anybody else. Yeah, and I'm sure Coach Smart has kind of been on you guys or at least keeping in contact with you guys uh, regarding how this season's going to go about because you're going to be on campus or at least classes are supposed to start coming up. Uh, pretty soon here how 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 is coach smart kind of communicated how the team should operate under this these unique circumstances just to continue doing what we're doing now you know make sure we aren't you know that in college there's a lot of distractions and a lot of people who want to risk it because they believe that they get the virus they won't get sick so just trying to build habits onto where that we're taking care of our well-being and not hanging around people who've been in large crowds or monitor the amount of people that we hang out with and, and just really try to make sure we keep ourselves clean. So it really we can't control anybody else but our own actions. I don't know if you've seen this this morning, or at least was kind of talked about this morning, that uh, the Big Ten and the Big East are having conversations about doing some sort of bubble-like uh bubble-like experiment to finish their basketball seasons or start and finish their basketball seasons this year. How how would you feel about going into a bubble? I imagine it would kind of be like the, you know, the Big 12 tournament where you go play 
all in one place since all the teams playing each other in a round robin kind of thing. How, how would you feel about doing that? Do, is that something you would particularly be interested in? I'll honestly be more comfortable playing in a style or a system that's safer like that. You know, a lot of traveling and going to different venues, you never really know unless you are monitoring everybody's actions and can, you know, um, like under like a hundred percent surveillance. So honestly, me personally, I'll feel more comfortable playing in a bubble style type of tournament. You know, if they do non-conference tournaments or non-conference, you know, one week, everybody flies out, train in one particular area and then play or the same thing with conference. You know, we play our games at Kansas and Missouri, Kansas. So kind of go out there at once a week guys go get tested play a team then come back then kind of kind of the bubble style that they're doing now will be i'll be perfectly fine with yeah kind of a more modified kind because of, obviously no one can do what the nba or at least colleges mm-hmm. can't do what the nba is doing just as far as resources flying everyone out there that kind of buy-in but a little different is something you'd be interested in right i'd definitely be interested in you know having a sense of security for my health and health of everybody else in order to make playing possible and make it, you know, an effective way to keep everybody safe. So on the court, you're a great shooter, 38% career shooter from three-point range. Uh, For someone like me who has never been a particularly good shooter on the basketball court, good at anything on the basketball court, really, but uh, (laughs) how does it feel to be in the zone, to feel like these guys cannot guard me. If I get the shot off, it's going in. How's that feel? I mean, it's a great mindset. You know, that means I'm really locked in. I'm focused. That's the one thing that people uh, don't really understand about being a shooter or a scorer. It's about your that work that you put in to score at that level and also the focus that you have to string in multiple shots at a, in a row. So normally when I'm when I'm in a zone, I I feel comfortable after I hit one or two shots. Then, me like me as a player, once I hit one, I know another one's going to follow, and that's kind of how the mindset that I keep myself going and try to build that consistency. And who was your favorite player growing up? Who'd you model your game after? Who'd you see on TV and be like, I want to be like that guy? Um, my favorite player that I've always watched. I have a lot, but my favorite player was Kevin Durant. You know, I just loved his style of play, the way he created his shot, the way he moved. It was really different than, you know, everybody else. He was a bigger bigger seven-foot guard who could shoot, handle the ball, and play make. So I'm out of my game after a lot of Kevin Durant, Dwayne Wade, um, Damian Lillard, um, Allen Iverson, you know, a lot of guys like those, Kobe. You know, I, I, I use a lot of different players and watch film on them and then try to emulate it and put it in my game to where I can be my own person. All right, so this is Texas Tasty, this this 512 Degrees podcast. This is a food blog, food podcast, so I can't get you out of here before asking you some uh, rapid-fire food questions. All right, so you ready? All right. So first one, hot dogs or corn dogs? Hot dogs. Hot dogs. So you're you're also a glizzy gladiator. Really, I I prefer hot links. 
Yep. Okay. But yeah, I'll, yeah, I prefer hot links. But I'm, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that for sure. Uh, next one: ranch or blue cheese? Uh, neither. Neither. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really a, a condiment sauce type of guy. Okay, this that might lead into this next one a little bit. Uh, do you ever put chips on a sandwich? Do chips belong on a sandwich? Chips do not belong on a sandwich. Nope, ne- ne- never? I never put, I eat them separately. Mm. I, I do mostly, but sometimes, you know, just throw lays on a, throw on there, yeah, yeah, throw lays on like a turkey sandwich. Yeah. yeah. It's more about the crunch than anything else. Right. Yeah, so what's your favorite comfort food? What's the biggest food that you go to get into your happy place? Maybe it's something you kind of know you shouldn't be eating. Favorite comfort food, i say maybe chicken. I'm a, real, I'm a real big fried chicken guy. Do you guys have, like, some sort of nutrition plan uh, as far as the basketball team goes? Yeah, we have a great nutritionist who, you know, monitors and try to help us maintain a, a good diet. So that we aren't just getting fat and putting in the wrong putting the wrong foods in our body. Yeah, and I bet during the COVID they've kind of been on you because you know normally they have they're you're at least kind of on campus. Right, right. So uh, lately I've been trying to do my job. You know I've been having to take a professional mindset during this time and make sure I, I make sure I'm eating. If I'm going to eat chicken, make sure it's fried or baked. Not not fried. Make sure it's baked. Yeah. Instead of, you know, not getting away from a lot of the greasy foods. Mm, yeah. Uh, so what was the last uh, meal that you cooked for yourself? The last meal that I cooked, it was a recipe that my girlfriend actually made. It's like a like a pasta, a cheese chicken pasta deal. It was really good. It, like stir-fried chicken with pasta noodles and cheese. It was good. And what's your go-to kind of... Like, I'm going to cook something for myself. I know I got this one. This is the Andrew Jones special. Andrew Jones special, I'd say uh, my baked chicken with diced potatoes and probably some green beans. Mm. Right. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. And it's healthy. I'm sure that checks out on the plate. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it checks out on the healthy uh, scale. Yeah. And uh, what's your favorite restaurant in Austin? Favorite place to go to? Favorite, favorite place to go to? Oh... There's a few. I like Gus Chicken. Gus is really good. Um, well, that's that's pretty much it. I think Gus probably has to be one of my favorite restaurants. All right, awesome. Uh, do you have any shout outs? A message for the people listening before we let you go? Uh, I like to tell everybody, you know, thank you for following my journey. Continue to stay safe. And, you know, I look forward to watch everybody coming and watching our Texas play basketball next year. Thank you again, Andrew, for making some time with us. Uh, we're big fans of yours here at Texas Tasty, and we can't wait to follow your career, see what the future holds for you, both on and off the court. Thank you again, Andrew. Hey, guys. This is Alejandra. I'd first like to give a big thank you to Sean Mapes for being the host of today's episode. If you liked his guest, Andrew Jones, you could go ahead and give Andrew a follow at drew.cash underscore one on Instagram. If you enjoyed today's episode, give us a follow at The Texas Tasty on Instagram and Twitter. Upcoming episodes and more can be found wherever you get your podcasts. This is Alejandra Gavilanes signing off.